You're listening to 1590 WCGO. My name is Ben Boquist, and you're listening to The Mike Novak Show on 1590 WCGO. Live from a cul-de-sac somewhere in Evanston, Illinois, it's The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. After 20 years, still Chicago's only deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Saturday morning on 1590 WCGO. Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. He won't make her double dig in her garden if she doesn't make him try broccoli aromatherapy. Here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. High forest, the wetlands will, good planets are in demand. Right. Hey, welcome to Sunday. Oh my goodness. Here Good morning. Good morning, uh, Chicago. And uh, thank you, Ben, for that live rendition of the countdown. Except you're supposed to go coming down in three, two, one. See? You forgot that, Ben. That's because you didn't bring him coffee this morning. I, I know. I'm so sorry about that. Especially on a rainy day like this. Holy smoke. I got to tell you, I don't usually care if it's raining or if it's sunny or if it's not cold, if it snows. But... These last two days, nasty, just mm-hmm. nasty. Oh my goodness! And and I was on basement watch mm. last night, which means that I had the weather change. Okay, I was <laughs> I was I was doing prep for the show. I'm reading uh, this wonderful book. Oh my goodness, what a great book! And we'll be talking about it on the show today: "The Death and Life of the Great Lakes" by Dan Egan. Um, and uh, some and, and you had a mini Great Lakes starting. I had a basement? mini great. Well. I have the Weather Channel on, so I glance up every now and then to see what the radar looks like. And, of course, they're covering tornadoes in Texas, at, but they have in the little corner of the box of the radar. And it just is not stopping. And I'm mm-hmm. watching it. It's just like going through Chicago and going through Chicago and going through Chicago. And I'm hearing it outside, and my kitty is crawling under the sofa because she's scared. And I and I thought, you know, I, I have to go check the basement. Now, my basement door is on the outside. I have to go outside to go down in my basement because I have a 128-year-old mm-hmm. home. Uh, and I'm walking down the stairs to the basement. I nearly got blown off the <laughs> stairs. It was slippery and windy. And I, this, I said, oh, this boy. is not good. This is not good. So I opened the door to the basement, and there's some trickles coming in, but actually everything was fine, and I was so relieved. But I had to do that several more times. And I did it once when I left this morning and mm-hmm. said, okay, let's see what happened no overnight. The little rivulets going through. Yeah, everything. the little rivulets. That we've had those... Uh, forever and, and it's not good obviously but uh well you know that's that's what that's 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 life in a 128 year old mm-hmm. house and we need uh, tuck pointing and we need a whole bunch of other things too and ron cowgill <laughs> from mighty house on saturdays uh at some point is going to come by in fact he's going to help me fix my garage opener as you know so that's neither here nor there but nasty that's what i'm talking about folks and that's what it was and i'm hearing this morning that 
well, first of all, I'm seeing tree limbs down. Uh, I saw somebody post on Facebook that power's out in Downers Grove really? and other places. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder. You know, if, if if anybody's listening and you have to do it on your transistor radio, anybody have transistor radios anymore? Um, on your cell phone, if you're listening on the app because your power's out, or if you're nearby, call us at 847-475-1590. 847-475-1590, uh, WCGO, and give us a report on this Sunday morning because it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we're live. Give us a ding for that. Thank you. Uh, this is our first Sunday show Yay! on CPT. Uh, not CPT, CPT. I'm grief. sorry, CGO. <laughs> it, you know what? I could probably say WGN at some point, and, and that would sneak in there, too. It's just one of these things that you, you, work, at, you work at enough... <laughs> WRCN, Rockin' 650 on your AM <laughs> dial. That's that's my college days. Uh, that will come WNUR out. WNUR 89.3. Mike Novak on the rock till 1 o'clock. Uh, and See it what happened. you got yourself into. Love it. Yeah. And that is Steve Newman from Logic Lawn Care. He starts the show today. And we hope that you will call us. You'll tweet us. You'll send us your Facebook posts. You can send email, mike at mikenovak.net. Uh, and again, the phone number, 847-475-1590, because we're talking natural lawn care with Steve Newman from Logic. And they are a proud sponsor of the Mike Novak Show, and we do that in full disclosure. But the thing is, even before Steve was a sponsor here, and we're really glad he is, because, folks, there aren't enough people, there are not enough people in the Chicago area doing natural lawn care. And it's just the truth. And we need people like Steve to tell us, uh, well, to point us in the right direction. Um, but uh, even before then, we brought him on the show to talk about this stuff because it is so important. I even have, I don't know if you saw this, Steve, I brought, just for the heck of it, my four-step program. Remember when you were the last station, and I'll give him a shout-out, I don't care, Q4 Radio. We got that one out there, too. There we go. Let's, every radio station in town we're going to give a plug to today. Um, uh, we did, I, did, I did my own version of the four-step program, which I stole from Dan Costa at Vern Goer's Greenhouse in Hinsdale. And I think he's listening today because he wrote me yesterday and said, I'm so glad you're on Sundays because he, he has a day off on Sundays. And I bet he's hunkered down with a cup of hot cocoa, <laughs> maybe a little of Bailey's in it. I don't know. Um, but uh, we're glad to have you all here on Sunday. Peggy's here. Steve's here. We're going to answer your questions. We're going to talk uh, lawn care and then Great Lakes and then predators all over the place um, uh, in Illinois and how they're being hunted inhumanely with uh, Mark Ayers from Humane Society. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair care products available to make sure you get exceptional color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins ordinarily found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots offers non-toxic, vegan-friendly nail services. They've also just introduced a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths. And how many salons do you think repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting walk into 21st century hair care for women and men at organic roots eco salon 3417 dempster in skokie book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653 health and beauty you no longer have to sacrifice one for the other 
Your family and pets spend a lot of time in public parks, schoolyards, and on your own lawn. And you want those grounds to be not only beautiful, but safe. Logic Lawn Care is an Evanston company with a decade of experience successfully creating beautiful lawns naturally. Logic works with homeowners on the North Shore and also with schools, park districts, and cities across Chicagoland to manage large turf areas naturally. Get a free estimate. Go to LogicLawnCare.com or call 847-421-6500. What is this anyhow? This is your talk. This is America, Jack. On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. How about throwing that in there? All right. (laughs) I mean, on a Sunday morning when it's been pouring rain and we got four inches or whatever already, what better song to play than No Rain? This is the one I was looking for. Is this the one you were looking for? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I got it. I got you covered. I got your back here, Ben. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. Okay. We're uh, we're we're having we're we're experiencing the vagaries of uh, adding an extra two hours on a Sunday morning. So my advice to you, Ben, let's set up that next segment, and uh, we'll talk to Steve Newman here um, from uh, Logic Lawn Care again. A welcome on a rainy morning, and Steve's wearing shorts. What, what, the, what the heck <laughs> shorts is the matter? And short sleeve golf shirt. Yeah, I, uh, it's warm in here. I, it is. I got my, yeah, you are a little bundled up no, there, Mike. I, I like it. I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling nice and it's warm and toasty. It's 55 overcast with a light rain. Yeah, the important thing, what is the soil temperature, okay, <laughs> dude? Because that's that's where you guys come in. That's it's, the stuff you've gone been. down a little bit and uh, slowing things down. The dandelions are uh, hibernating at the moment, so that's actually good. Uh, a couple of things you should know, as I mentioned uh before Logic Lawn Care is a sponsor of the Mike Novak Show, but they're also this month in uh, the ILCA La- Landscape uh, Contractor magazine. You got a little profile here. How cool is that? Yeah. Um, and Marilyn Whitney wrote it. I know Marilyn back from. She's great. Um, yeah, she is. Uh, and I know that she had. I don't know if she is right now, but in the past she's worked at Lurvie. Um, and, uh, but, uh, I know her from Mila, the Midwest Ecological Landscape Alliance, uh, which I, uh, co-founded back in the day. Uh, all right, let's start right there. Wait, first of all, give folks your, give us a, a website. It's LogicLawnCare.com, Lo- right? LogicLawnCare.com. Uh, you can go to our website and get a hold of us, or you can also give us a call at 847-421-6500. And you can go on Facebook as well, right? Ab- absolutely. All right, so the first question i got to ask you is, uh, here we are, and we get four inches of rain in a couple of days, some five maybe in some places. I mean, this is nuts. What does that do not just to your schedule, but to everybody else who's out there and they're trying to get their lawn started in the spring. Yeah, like I kind of said a few minutes ago, it, it will slow things down, which is actually actually nice. We don't really want this much rain, but it will <laughs> uh, slow slow things down and um, you know allow us to take a little bit of, of a break. Well, but okay, that you can say that. But you and I both know that there are lawn care companies out there who are going to be out there tomorrow on Monday uh, trying to mow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because they do it on their schedule and not on nature's schedule. And that's that's a criticism of the industry. And a lot of people get 
don't understand that part of it. It's like the guys who come out in September and cut all your forsythias into ball shapes uh, because somebody somewhere told them that that's what good horticultural practice is, right. and that's insane. Yeah, and I can feel their pain because it's it's a little different perspective actually having to get the work done because the work still has to get done but you're absolutely right nobody should be mowing the lawns tomorrow let the soil <laughs> and, and the lawns drain out uh, you're certainly going to find out where you have areas that the the lawn's not draining well um, but by mid next week it looks like we're uh, back to sunny and uh, 65 and an official sure. short, short so, weather you know, right probably in a, like a three or four days maybe less uh, it's going to be more or less back to normal. But you make a really good point, which is, at this point, this teaches you where your uh, where the areas are in your yard that do not drain well. Mm -hmm. And if you have those, the uh, the solution is? Well, regrade re or don't have that be turf and have that be a rain garden or put plants there that enjoy that kind of moisture. You're going to struggle trying to grow lawns in an area that's going to hold water. Well, what if it's just a little bit of water? You could core aerate then, couldn't you? You could. That'll The better root system is going to allow for um, better drainage, and sometimes people don't think of lawns as a good permeable surface, but if you take care of your lawn, do aeration and seeding and fertilizing, get a good root system, it's actually um, more permeable than you think. Uh-huh. Uh, so how do you make that decision? You look at an area of your lawn, uh, how do you make the decision between this is not a good area for a lawn or, well, if I amend it and core aerate, I can I can make it serviceable? How, how, is that just sort of a, a, a feel for it? What is it? The first question I ask is, how are you using the space? If you're using the mm -hmm. space to play soccer with your kid or um, throw the, the baseball, then you need to have a turf area, and then mm -hmm. we would work to solve that to be turf. If it's an area that you're just looking at, then we would talk about uh, alternatives to turf um, in many cases. Uh, around trees, under trees is a, another good example. Do you help people with that part a of it, the alternative to turf thing? A absolutely. I, I would say we're reducing turf. We're gaining clients every year, but we're reducing turf because once we've tried a seeding process, we can d determine where grass is going to grow and where it's not. So we are, on a yearly basis, reducing the amount of turf at our clients where grass just won't grow. Mm -hmm. uh, that's Steve Newman from Logic Lawn Care. That's logiclawncare.com. Right now, if uh, if you got questions about what to do in the spring, 847-475-1590, 847-475-1590 at WCGO, and that does happen to be the station mm -hmm. we're at, right? Did I get it right this yes. time? Okay. Yes. <laughs> Chicago Smart Talk. Or uh, you could put it up on Twitter. I'm monitoring the, uh, the, you, the, the Twitter yeah, machine. Yeah, the Twitter machine. The Twitter distraction is up there. And uh, uh, I guess I, 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 when it, whenever you're in the studio, I have so many questions. But let's start. Uh, you mentioned turf and playing soccer and that sort of thing. One of the ways you're striking out with the company, I mean, I meant that as in moving forward, not not strike three, <laughs> right. uh, is uh, you're you're going to municipalities and schools, park districts, and offering your services to them. Why and what do you have to offer? Yeah, that's uh, we've really started to cultivate that. Um, 
almost every municipality or school is feeling some pressure from the community to reduce the amount of chemicals. Uh, we've got great experience now, the village of Skokie. We've been chemical-free at their village hall and their village green for seven years. And you brought uh, photos of that, or is that... It's, it's in, in the, the ILCA in the article. Uh, article. article. Yeah, and there yeah. it is, and there's... Uh, that's a big expanse of lawn, and it looks great. It looks great. And then look at the other picture on how it's being used. There's people watching movies and laying on the lawn, you know, kids and adults of, of all ages. Yeah. And, um, and, and I should tell you, I am doing a talk at the Skokie Public Library in June about natural lawn care. So what I'm going to do is I'll just get you to write the whole thing for me, and I'll, I'll just read you <laughs> your stuff. Bring, right? bring them out to the Village Green and do yeah. the talk right on a seven-year, chemical-free, well, uh, beautiful lawn. What I usually do with uh, these uh, groups is I split the room in half, and we have uh, shirts and skins, and we go out and do a rugby scrum <laughs> So uh, right after the talk, just to let you know. Yeah, I knew you'd be more entertaining than me. <laughs> You don't do rugby scrums? No. <laughs> nope. Okay. Uh, but but back to, uh, so here you are in Skokie doing this naturally. The question everybody's going to ask is, well, how much more expensive is it to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's Skokie. We're, we're right in within um, about 20% of what a conventional approach would take. It's more of a high-profile area, so they do have the budget. Um, but the school district in uh, Mount Prospect uh, that, that we're at, I, I would say also about twenty uh, percent, and we can structure any program to meet the correct budget, and it's just balancing the the tolerance. If you want zero weeds, then you have to increase the budget. If you mm-hmm. can have some tolerance, then we can work with uh, a, a lower budget, and that's that's one of the things we're very good at is is working with all the stakeholders to make sure we achieve those goals. Uh, and you're right that. It's a matter of what you can tolerate, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and especially, I would say, yeah, I, w- I would imagine that a municipality, a park district, can tolerate tolerate a few dandelions in there. That's not, not such a big deal. But On some of their properties, but yeah. like at the Village Hall, Village Green, that's a, a, a premier piece of their property. Well, that's true, yeah. And from you can see from those pictures, we're able to keep the dandelions down to uh, you know less than what we would call less than 5% tolerance. Wow, that's pretty good. Absolutely. Do, do you find you have to do a lot of education? Yeah, so that's actually one of the keys to natural lawn care is education um, and uh, communication. Mm-hmm. So it does require a lot more communication with your clients than a conventional approach. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's and that's getting back to what I was saying before with the homeowner. You have to ask them what will you – we talk about tolerance. What will you tolerate? How – how perfect does your lawn have to be? And I think the idea of a perfect lawn is is scary, actually. Yeah. It's, it, <laughs> you know, because... <laughs> I like it, my lawn, too. It, it leads to madness. Um, and uh, go ahead, Peg. And I, I guess what I'm, I look at on a municipality, maybe educating City Hall, Public Works, whomever, and they get it. But what about then when the, the residents of that town are going, why are there... Why, why isn't it perfect? 
Why are there dandelions? Why isn't there? Why isn't someone spraying? This? Where? Why? What's that clover doing there? That yep. awful, awful clover. Why, why stuff? is my child yeah. in clover? Oh exactly. no, my child's going to get stung by a bee. bee. Yeah, right. If if they use a conventional approach, then they get the calls saying, "Why are you using a conventional yeah. chemical?" If they're doing natural, then they're getting the calls, "Why are you seeing the weeds?" So we help them with uh, educating okay. the public. We recommend marketing the fact that it's a natural lawn care. And if you go out to the Village Green at Skokie, you'll see signs, this is a natural lawn care. And then you'll also see that it, that it looks quite good. If we do get some complaints, like at the school district, if we're getting a complaint at a particular school or a particular entrance, and do people then really complain focus. about dandelions? They do. It's still that poster Ooh. child of perception of this school's better than that school. It's wow. it's it's a uh, folks. Can we tell you something? Dandelions are actually good. They provide. Uh, you know, uh, one one of the first uh, pollinating plants. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I'll tell you something a little scary. My backyard at this time of year is usually swarming with bumblebees. I have not seen a single one, not a single one this year so far. Now, I realize that some days it's been kind of chilly, and, you know, they, they're, it's sort of in the marginal area, but even on those really warm days, I haven't seen a bumblebee. I've seen but, some, some other bees, some solitary bees out there that are actually making a, a nest in a bamboo <laughs> thing that I have draped over my back porch. So I'm thinking, oh, no, that's that might not be a good thing, but I'm not moving it. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to have them around. And I have a lot of bumblebees. Do you really? Mm-hmm. What's I've going seen, on? I didn't see a single monarch. I, there. I have some this big. Going wow. around the yard, just you know, the, send the, them my way. The, the big bomber that just kind of. Uh, so you talk about the natural lawn care, and uh, I think the people have odd ideas in their heads about what that is. So let's 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 just take a couple of minutes to explain. Um, uh, what natural? Uh, uh, we're breaking at uh, thirty-two, uh, right? I don't think we have anything before thirty-two, Ben. Thirty-two, yeah. Yeah, so. So we got about four minutes here. Um, about uh, so, tell us what are the tenets of natural lawn care? Yeah, so it starts with using organic fertilizers, uh, getting nitrogen to the uh, the grass plant uh, uh, through organic products, and then managing. Uh, okay, okay, we'll stop right there. Mm-hmm. What kind of organic? What kind of nitrogen do you like? So we like getting the nitrogen from what we call food grade sources, um, as opposed to after the animal eats it and then it comes out the other end. That's another way to get nitrogen. Manure. And and then there's biosolids as well. That's obviously a a philosophical choice. What is it you like about that? Just... I'm not sure I would say it's safer, but it's just uh, it's what we would call the highest quality uh, organic. And then you've got the biosolids, which is controversial. Um, We don't use the biosolids either. So we get nitrogen from the what we call food grade sources. Mm -hmm. And then we're also doing soil amendments and doing things like compost top dressing to get natural nitrogen out of the soil naturally. So we're adding inputs to get nitrogen and then we're extracting nitrogen naturally from the soil. So how is it that your compost will do that? Is it about the biology that's in the compost that draws out uh, the organisms that are going to... Yeah, in in simple terms, a healthy soil is going to have a better um, source of nitrogen, a more balanced uh, soil. And so by adding compost on a regular basis, you're building the soil and making it a healthier soil. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So you've got your nitrogen sources, you're drawing out nitrogen, you're adding nitrogen, and what else? Right. So now we got to manage the weeds. So we use natural products. Uh, Chelated iron is a great uh, way to manage them naturally, but it's not... 
an overnight uh, you know solution. So mm-hmm. it's it's a process. So then, along with the natural weed controls, then we have to do aerating and seeding. Uh, is chelated iron the same as iron hedita? Is that the is that the same thing? Because there's a there was a product called uh, Natria that came out a few years ago, and I remember when it first came out, and they call it iron hedita. I'm not for certain, but I think that is. I, I think because it's a it's the latest advance in safer products that will uh, kill weeds and, and and not lay these chemicals all over the place that uh, that could right. be harmful to your yeah. children and your pets. And it, and it works quite well. It. It's not going to kill the dandelion overnight and never come back again, but it's definitely working for us to suppress the dandelion. Then we use the nitrogen to make the grass plant grow faster, and then we're aerating and then adding seed to get more uh, grass plant filling in the uh, the open areas. Well, and I, and, I, and I think that's one of the key points that people forget is that they, they'll rip out a dandelion or they'll have a bare spot, and they think, well, it'll fill in. Um, and that's not really true. I mean, one of the things you do is you add seed because you need to get those plants going. It will fill in in two ways, one with good sources of nitrogen or using new seed. But you need to plant. I mean, as I tell folks, if you got a flower bed and a plant dies, you don't wait for the other flowers to fill in. You go out and buy a new plant. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the same thing with grass. Exactly. Same thing with lawn. It's yep. like you got a bare spot. Get some seed. Take, take care of your plant. Ex- I did that this exactly. year. Actually, this spring. Yeah, I know that the spring is not the best time. The fall is the best time to uh, overseed. But I thought I have these tiny little patches. I started and I and now I got all this rain, so I'm like really happy. I'm like, okay, my seed's gonna germinate. <laughs> but but the soil's too cold; it won't germinate quite yet. Not quite yet, but it's, <laughs> but at least it's wet. <laughs> okay, that is Steve Newman from Logic Lawn Care. It's the Mike Novak Show on WCGO. We'll be right back. Stick around. Chicagoans are looking for ways to get healthier in 2017. Hi, I'm Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach this growing wellness market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 monthly readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and taking action. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health and lifestyle coaches, yoga classes, green landscapers, even home improvement and energy efficiency experts. Our dedicated readers pick up their free copies each month from more than 1,100 locations throughout the city and suburbs because they know it's the best source for information about healthy, green living in Chicago. Call me today at 847-858-3697 to learn more. That's 847-858-3697. And check us out at nachicago.com. Natural awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. If you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contract. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. 
Community Supported Agriculture, or CSA, creates a direct relationship between you and a local farmer who grows your food. You support a farmer financially up front, and your farmer provides you with local, sustainably raised food during the growing season. This could be a weekly box of vegetables, a monthly share of meat or eggs, and there are many other options. To find your farmer and the CSA that works best for you, go to bandoffarmers.org. Sign up for your CSA today. This is Your Talk. One of the few true originals of our time. On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. I'm not sure if it's uh, the end of the world. Uh, let's get back to uh, Real Lawn Care, which is uh, Logic Lawn Care, a great sponsor of the Mike Novak Show. And we were talking a second ago. Oh, and by the way, 847-475-1590 is our phone number if you've got a question about your lawn and what you want to get done, what you want to accomplish this spring. And as I mentioned before the break, the fall really is the best time to do this. Right, Steve? Uh, I know people, they've been brainwashed to think, well, it's spring, it greens up. Uh, the only way you're going to get a lawn is start working on it in April. But really, it's not true, is it? Yeah, one way we talk about it is you're growing next year's grass this year. So if you want your lawn to look great now, it's everything you're doing this year. And like you said, fall's a great time. But spring is a close second. Uh, if your lawn needs restoration, then sometimes it's not appropriate to wait till fall. So we'll sometimes do aeration and seeding now, but then we'll typically recommend an aeration and seeding also sure. in, in the fall. It's not like you can't do it now. It's just you probably are better off if you do it in the fall. Right. And the reason why, or one of the key reasons why, is the first dormant season that that new grass goes into, it likes the winter dormancy much better than the, the summer dormancy. So seed that you're growing now this spring might not make it through the summertime, uh -huh. whereas yeah. the fall seed that germinates loves the winter, then has spring, and by the next following summer, it's a strong grass plant. And, and the reason that is is this, the, the lawns we grow here are what they call cool season exactly. grasses. All right? in, in most cases. We, we have installed some warm season like buffalo grass, but in most cases, you're right, it's a... Cool right. Now, buffalo grass. grass is a native, and folks say, wow, I want a native grass. Well, if you're going to grow buffalo grass, here's the problem with buffalo grass. It, it greens up late, and it goes brown early. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be end of May before you're, you're getting your buffalo grass uh, to look green. And, Correct. And everybody else around you with their cool season grasses, like the fescues and the, and the Kentucky bluegrass, and they're, they're going to be green in April like they are right now. And you're going to say, well, why isn't my grass like that? It's because you got the native, and that's the way the native works. Yep. And some of your listeners out there might have some areas in their lawn or neighbors that have lawn like that. It's most likely either buffalo grass or I see a lot of zoysia grass out there. Oh, that's another one. In, uh, back in the day uh, when I get these uh, horticultural publications and magazines and they would say, zoysia grass, it's the perfect grass for you. It's the grass you want. Well, not if you're in Chicago, not if you're in the upper Midwest the way we are. Yeah, maybe in uh, south yeah, you will do that. But if you see zoysia grass, run screaming from the room. It's going to do great in the summertime, but uh, it, it is not going to green up until about uh, first part of June. Yeah, so there, those are the uh, some of the caveats about this. And 
Uh, and so that tells you that if, you, if you're putting in cool season grass that we were talking about, uh, as Steve is pointing out, when it's cool, it's happy. Mm-hmm. Problem is, if you started in May, April, May, and it's still young, it's still getting going, and then we have a 90-degree dry hot spell, boy, that, that grass is in a world of hurt, isn't it? Right. And, and that's why if we do do aerations and seedings now, we, we would recommend you still do it again in, mm-hmm. in the fall. And one of the things we see in the industry is the aerations are starting too early. So even though it's a cool season grass, the soil temperatures still need to get to about 50 degrees before the the grass plant is active. Yeah. And aerating in March and even in the beginning of April is is too early. So we're actually just now, if it weren't raining so much on Monday, we would be starting. <laughs> we're literally just starting our aerations yeah. and our aerations and seedings because now you'll actually really capitalize on the benefits that you get from it. Well, a couple of things. One, the soil can't be muck. Uh, and two, you want the, the grass to be actively growing because if it's not, it's not your aeration is doing you no good, right? Right. It's not that you're killing the grass by doing it too early. You're just not maximizing the benefits that you get from aeration. So we, uh-huh. we actually call our aeration May-June aeration because if we called it spring, the expectation would be, because everybody else is doing it, that we would be out in March or April. Right. So we call it May or June aeration. Good for you. Uh, and you can do it in the summer. It's just that if there hasn't been any uh, rain for two months, it's probably not a great idea either, is it? An, an athletic field might aerate five times a year, but they have to manage to hot temperatures. If it's yeah. 90 degrees and you aerate, you could cause the grass to go into shock. An athletic field has lots of irrigation capabilities, so they can manage to that. So in June, if it's going to be 90 degrees for a week, we'll, we'll stop our aerations. We want it 70 or 80 degrees uh, for the aeration. So are you working on athletic fields too, uh, or do you just do sort of uh, cosmetic uh, front of building things? We, we have some athletic fields that are part of some of the municipalities and school districts, um, but not what what I might call like a premier athletic field. But uh, we are looking, so if anyone out there wants a well, natural I, athletic field, call Logic Lawn Care. I, and, you know, and that's a really good point. Um, uh, part of the reason he's here is to let folks know that you can call them and they want to come out and work with you if you're a city if you're a village if you're um, uh, a park district if you're a school and you want things done well and you want it to look good and you want it to be safe give logic lawn care a call and the number again in in, uh, evanston is 847-421-6500 847-421-6500 Four two one six five zero zero, or just go to logiclawncare.com. Uh, we have just a, a, a few minutes left here. One of the big questions I think some, a lot of people uh, that scares a lot of folks about transferring over to a natural lawn care is they look at their lawn and it's 75% dandelions or other weeds, plantain, whatever you got. Well, if you got plantain, your soil's compacted, basically. That's part of what's going on there. Um, they used to call, did you know that the plantain was called white man's boots by the Indians? Ah, I did not. Hmm. Yeah. This is because everywhere the, the, the European settlers walked and, and compacted the soil, that's yeah. where the plantain would grow. So they, uh, a lot of the natives called it white man's boots. Um, and, uh, but if you've got like 75% weeds, and you want to transfer? How do you how do you do that wholesale slaughter? How do you make that transition to get a good looking lawn? Mm-hmm. 
Well, there's really two options. Um, one option is we can take the natural approach, and we need we typically ask for about three years, and we can slowly convert it. What but you want folks to be patient out of your but mind? But I want it next week. Yeah, I got a wedding, and we are fully aware of that um, that ask. And so the other option um, that we embraced uh, several years ago now is doing what we would call a rescue uh, treatment. So we will come in with the safest uh, conventional chemical. We'll time it at the very best time to get the, the best kill. So we're being uh, using best practices under the umbrella of what we call in the industry integrated pest management. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We'll get control because if we won't do it and then take them down the natural path, they will call a conventional company and, and be on a tr treadmill of chemicals all the time. So... Those are the two options. If you're not willing to cross the line and do a rescue treatment, we'll use natural, and it'll just move slower. Or we'll use a conventional product, uh, do a rescue treatment, and then immediately go into the organic fertilizers and natural weed controls from there. Uh, I, I'm almost... Okay. Uh, does it involve any... You're, you're welcome to express your opinion on that. Well, you no. Know, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, it's, it's a hard thing to do. Do you ever do just like a, like a solarized thing? Uh, do, do, do you do that at all? Some people do. So I do get that question a lot. I just was at a client last week that we've got a great success story. I and, and, and let me explain and, what and that what, is. Yeah, what is a solarized thing? A solarized thing? is like you cover the whole thing with plastic and you let it bake. Mm -hmm. in the sun, and it kills everything under it. Unfortunately, it also kills the biology. So you're killing everything so you can wipe out the weeds and start from scratch. And you're killing all of the grass plants that were there. So yeah. the client I was at last week, they had 75% weeds. We've taken three years now. They have a beautiful lawn. And I remember he, him asking me, do I need to sod this lawn and start over? I said, no, we need to push back the dandelions and the other weeds enhance the grass plants that are there and then add add new seeds so um in most cases we won't do any kind of solarization or starting over we'll just capitalize on the grass plants that are there and then add uh new seed and, and fill in the areas and it it's transformational so you use like the iron hedita or or something that's relatively do, do you do you do like spot roundup too if you have to no okay good so you don't use uh glyphosate nope and that's that doesn't have as much of a purpose unless you were starting over yeah. um and there are certain times especially with native restorations where glyphosate has its place yeah. to have a successful project but uh we we don't ever use it or need to use it well steve newman thank you so much thanks for dropping by uh, i hope it dries out so you can get back to work out there in a couple of days I'm looking forward to the day off Either on monday or, or yeah. building ponds maybe that's your new one. Uh, logic lawn care i didn't even give them my own version of the four-step program we'll do it some other time LogicLawnCare.com. thanks again, for the, having me guys again thanks, the, the phone number again 847-421-6500. All right, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Stick around. We got more coming up at two big hours on this Sunday morning. One of Evanston's best parties of the year is just around the corner, the 2017 Evanston Green Ball. It supports the Evanston Ecology Center and features great local food and beverages, live music, and an environmental art show. The Green Ball is on Saturday, May 20th from 7 to 10.30 p.m. at the Levy Center, 300 Dodge Avenue in Evanston. Go to evanstonenvironment.org for more information and to buy your tickets. See you at the Green Ball. Chicagoans use your blue carts to recycle. 
bottles, flattened boxes, jugs with the lids on, tin and aluminum cans, juice cartons, and mail. No plastic bags, including store bags, no greasy pizza boxes, styrofoam, disposable coffee cups, light bulbs, napkins, electronics, or shredded paper. Put your items loose in the blue cart and not in a plastic bag. Visit RecycleByCity.com slash Chicago and let's make Chicago beautiful and green. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please, support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. Mighty House is on WCGO and better than ever. More better. Hi, this is Robbie Earhart with Mighty House Radio Show. I'm Rich Cowkill, certified remodeler, green certified professional, and chief estimator for a major custom home builder. Ron Cowgill, certified remodeler, certified kitchen and bath remodeler, certified green remodeler, certified uh, home and what's that last one now? I don't remember. Listen to us every Saturday from 7 to 10 a.m. right here on WCGO. This is your talk. Do you read me? On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Come on, is anybody even out to dance in the rain by hey do you remember the uh, color wheel from grade school uh that's very different as i mentioned yesterday from the i'm gonna put this in your head again peggy big wheels that keep on turning in all of rock songs yeah Ah, yeah all those rock songs from the 70s uh, that's a different wheel anyway the may june issue of chicagoland gardening has a story about complementary colors yellow and blue to be precise i mean if you can't find Yellow and blue in your garden, uh, you're, you're not trying. Especially, you can do it right on pansies. They have their own yellow, yellow and, and blue. blue in my garden now, yes. Yeah. And I think it resonates with me because I'm a University of Michigan grad. Go blue. Uh, go maize and blue. Uh, but be very careful if your school colors were, I don't know, pink and gray. Uh, you're going to have a very depressing garden. Maybe not with the pink. Speaking of depressing, my column on the inside back page of every issue. Oh, boy. Read it and weep. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines on newsstands everywhere, or go to chicagolandgardening.com. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, 888-265-3600. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, a couple of things uh, as we get to the end of the hour and then uh, next hour. We're going to start with Dan Egan. Wow, what a cool book he mm-hmm. wrote, um, The Life and Death of the Great Lakes. Yeah. Uh, how did, you're, you're the one who told me about this. How did you find out about this? I had actually seen a couple of write-ups about it, and then I saw um, Chicago Tonight had an interview with him. Oh, so we got scooped by Chicago Tonight. I hate it when that happens. Ah. Darn. Okay. Yes, but that was TV. That's true. I bet he's not been on uh, other Chicago radio. Um. And uh, I want to let you know, though, I got this uh, notice myself from Open Lands, uh, Patrick Williams over at Open Lands. 
the uh, there's registration open for the summer 2017 Tree Keeper Certification Course. Now, since 1991, Open Lands has trained over 1,800 volunteer tree keepers to care for Chicago's urban forest, identifying potential tree-related problems and leading neighbors in tree planting and tree care. I am tree keeper number 417, reporting for duty. Um, and what's cool, they don't usually do this in the summer, so they've added an extra course. So I guess there's a, a great demand for this. So, but what is a tree keeper? Uh, what you do is you go through the Tree Keepers program. Certification includes an eight-day course with classroom and field components. You pass a written exam. You complete practical exams on tree planting, mulching, and pruning. Uh, you pledge 25 volunteer hours within a year following graduation and adopting public trees on a parkway or uh, a park or a parkway. Uh, so it's you learn how trees grow. Uh, how they die, and they, they, you know, we do a. We think trees are art, or they're they're like lampposts or something that you can't hurt a tree. I, I it's think big. people forget they're living that they're yeah, alive. Yeah, they, they do, they do. Uh, and um, one of the things the tree keepers do is they learn how to take care of trees, uh, and it includes mulching and pruning. And pruning, you know, is is tricky. Um, for a lot of people, mm -hmm. it's just like the scariest thing they can do in the garden. Um, and you have to get over that fear. you got to jump that hurdle uh, to be able to be a proper pruner. How are, how are you on pruning? Eh, third okay. midland. <laughs> okay. I haven't killed anything yet. Well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't prune it right to the trunk. Uh, yeah, you got to leave a little uh, collar mm -hmm. there uh, when you prune. And you, this is the stuff you learn when you take the tree keeper course. It's really... A great thing because it stays with you forever. Then you know what trees are all about. I mean, xylem and phloem and flotsam and jetsam. No, there's no flotsam and jetsam. So, but if someone doesn't have any prior experience with trees other than watching them grow and going, I like trees, can they become a tree keeper or do sure. they have to have some knowledge? No, no. You, you get your knowledge. You will get it. Okay. Believe me, practical knowledge about uh, trees. Uh, now, the the... Classes will be held Tuesdays and Thursdays from June 1st to June 27th. Weekday courses allow interested individuals with busy schedules a chance to participate. They usually do it on the weekend, so they're trying mm -hmm. to open to everything. And they're going to be 6 to 9 p.m. at Austin Gardens Environmental Educational Center, Education Center, sorry, 167 Forest Avenue in Oak Park. Um, so you can go to openlands.org slash treekeepers to apply. Registration period closes on May 31st, so we will be talking about this uh, during the month of May mm -hmm. on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And uh, the course is 128 bucks. It's 128 bucks well spent, especially if you want to know something about trees. So uh, I would urge everyone to become a treekeeper if they can. Let's get to 2000 if we can, you know, very, very quickly. And then we'll have a big tree keeper party. And they do. It's all about the party. It's all about the party. <laughs> it is. So, uh, Rick DeMille sent us a, you know, oh, yeah. and that's the other thing. We can't, uh, we, I, I talked to Rick and I said, hey, you're going to do Sunday with us? Well, he's been doing. Well, and it's his birthday, so he gets the day off. That's right. Uh, he's been, uh, it is his birthday and he's been busy on uh, Fox uh, Chicago doing the weather. Saw him last night doing the weather. But he sent us a, 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 an interesting article, and you did a follow-up on this as well. I mean, his article was a, a New York Times story about um, 
how and the headline is is sowing climate doubt among school teachers. Now, ironically, the, you know, he sends this to us the day before the climate march, mm-hmm. and of course, the climate march uh, was yesterday, and of course, uh, the day before that, the EPA decided it was going to take a bunch of stuff off of its website about climate change. However, the, the, about the only saving grace on that, if you read the story about it, is that they archived they it. They claim. They claim, yes. So apparently, maybe, if you're lucky, you can go to EPA and find out what they used to think about climate change, because they don't think that anymore. They don't think. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I should have a rim shot. One of the great photos I saw yesterday, I, I'm trying to think if it was Kelly Nichols or Lisa Albrecht posted it, it said one of the best images from the climate march in D.C. Yeah. was the SS denial. And it was a sinking ship with the orange one. <laughs> so, so Rick DeMille sends us a story about how the Heartland Institute, which is a conservative think tank known for attacking climate science, <sighs> has been making a, a book available to public school teachers throughout the United States. Uh, the Institute says it plans to send out as many as 200,000 copies until virtually every science educator in America has one. The idea, of course, is to uneducate our teachers and our students. And I think they're funded by Exxon, among other companies. Uh, they might be. The book is called Why Scientists Disagree About Global Warming. And as the New York Times says, and thank you, New York Times, for calling a spade a spade, mm-hmm. uh, they write... Uh, presents the false premise that the evidence for human-driven climate change is deeply flawed. No, it's not. It is, you know what, folks, believe me, uh, when 97% of scientists in the world uh, say that it's human-induced climate change, that we have something to do with it, it's a fact. Now, if 90% of the people you knew or scientists said... If you drive that car today, you have a 97% chance of getting in an accident. Would you do it? You probably wouldn't. Yet, these people will turn around and say, well, it's just climate change. You know why? Because you can't see carbon dioxide. You can't see it immediately, and that's mm-hmm. part of our problem. Uh, we have just a few seconds. You hit, And so you found, did a follow-up. Art. You saw a follow-up. Yeah, this article. is on Vice.com, which is the show that runs on HBO. Um, they've got a story published April 25th. Currently, six states have legislative measures pending or already on their books that allow anti-science rhetoric, including rejection of of global warming, uh, evolution, and several other things. Wow. It's just uh, unbelievable. And more to come. Okay, more to come. We'll keep you posted on it, especially now that we have Sundays on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Great Lakes. Bobcats and coyotes next. Stick around for the second hour of the Mike Novak Show on 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, our first Sunday at 1590 WCGO. Uh, we, we did Sundays for a, a while mm-hmm. last year, and I did it for a long time back at uh, 
that other station that I accidentally mentioned earlier. <laughs> One of those. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we're very, very happy uh, to be uh, on Sunday. So tell your friends. Tell them, listen, 9 to 11 a.m. on 1590. You can go to MikeNovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net, and listen to live streaming. You can stream it on TuneIn, on on uh, Stitcher, you can. Uh, there's various apps. Uh, one one of the things Peggy has discovered over the years is that uh, there's a lot of people carrying live app. There's live apps, but there's also the podcasts. Mm-hmm. I do the podcasts that, that end up on and Mike Novak. Ripples out there. It's amazing. They just show up all over the inner tubes. It's uh, I don't know how that happens. Uh, and uh, I wanted to mention that Rick, Rick Moskovitz. Uh, Wrote in uh, to give a shout out to uh, Steve Newman from Logic Lawn Care. Apparently, they were give him. There you go. Give Rick a ding. He uh, is with A Plus Pest Control. We're going to have to have him on the show. Mm-hmm. Real Skokie, sm- yeah, yeah, because he's nearby in Skokie and does great stuff and uh, won some award as a business in Skokie recently. So uh, we will have him on the show soon. Uh, Dan Costa wrote uh, to 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 tell us the difference between carpenter bees and bumblebees. Um, and Peggy's aware that she has both carpenter bees and bumblebees. I haven't seen either. Because okay. I have, I have uh, carpentry tools in the garage, so the carpenter bees go there. And they steal the tools. Uh, let's go to uh, the phone line and bring in Dan Egan, uh, who is the author of The Death and Life of the Great Lakes. Dan, good morning. Good morning. Uh, are you are you are you pulled off on the side of the road? You're not driving in pouring rain, I hope. No, I'm on the side of uh, I-43 near Sheboygan, Wisconsin, on my way to Green Bay. Wow! So you never you never you try not to get uh, too far away from the Great Lakes at any one time. Is that correct? <laughs> I guess not. Although you know, I was born in Green Bay. I work in Milwaukee at the Milwaukee General Sentinel, um, but I did spend more than a decade out west in Idaho and Utah as a newspaper reporter. And I think when I came back, back in 2002, I looked at the Great Lakes with a with a new sense of wonder. I think there's no better way to appreciate these lakes than to live in the desert for a decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You you know, by the way, your book is fabulous. I, I will cop to the notion that I haven't finished it because I got it yesterday, but I, I read over 100 pages yesterday. Um, well, you know how to spin a yarn. Yeah. You, you just keep turning the pages in the book. It's, it's fabulous. Yeah, it is uh, a tribute to your skills uh, as a reporter. And um, I, I I tell people, pick this up. It just came out this year by Norton Press. Um, and you will learn more about what we're doing to our Great Lakes for usually ill. And that's that's kind of a theme that runs through the book, isn't it? That we we have this precious resource. As you say, you get... You, you learn to appreciate it when you go away. I'm surprised when you write about people who have never been to the Great Lakes uh, and uh, cannot believe how large they are. It, you know, you think th- that there was no such thing as the Internet or books or pictures, and yet folks who, uh, who are in the West and come and see the Great Lakes for the first time uh, cannot believe what they're seeing. But those of us who grew up here, we're mm-hmm. used to it, and we love it, but w- we don't have that profound experience. So... Uh, tell us a little bit um, about, you know, we can't go through the whole book, but uh, but I think we should start with our attitude to the Great Lakes. Uh, and uh, after we discovered that these bodies of water existed, we didn't really um, pay attention to what their best interests were, did we? Yeah, no. I mean, the, the Great Lakes have suffered a lot over the last 
200 years. And, you know, they've made a remarkable recovery since the 1970s, since the, you know, Cuyahoga River burst into flames in 1969, and then we got the passage of the Clean Water Act, which really reduced a lot of the pollutants going into the lake and made, you know, the beaches safer and the fish safer. But uh, what the Clean Water Act didn't address was uh, contaminated ballast water from these ships sailing in uh, from the Atlantic Ocean along the St. Lawrence Seaway, which is a man-made connection to the Atlantic Ocean. And this book really kind of goes from the Cuyahoga Fire forward and, and, and looks at this, what I like to call biological pollution, all these organisms that have just mm-hmm. so fundamentally changed the way life works in the lakes, and not always for the better. Yeah. One of the things I was talking to Mike about before the show when we were going through the book was how many changes have happened. I've actually been sailing in Highland Park down at the lake, Highland Park, Illinois, Mm -hmm. since the mid-80s. And just in that amount of time, I think some of the biggest things of watching the waves of alewives, I remember shoveling them off the beach when I was a park district employee, and then they went away. And then the salmon started dying, and then they went away. And now it's... The water clarity, you can go so far out and see shipwrecks on the bottom and grass growing. I think you called it the uh, cladophora grass. Yeah, cladophora. And yeah, so it's, it's kind of um, counterintuitive that these muscles have really cleared up the lake water. And in some ways, it's just spectacular. But a, a clear Lake Michigan isn't a healthy Lake Michigan. It was nature designed to be a bit more brothy. And, and that means it could sustain a lot more fish. Now, the salmon aren't gone on Lake Michigan yet, but they are gone on, on Lake Huron. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's really kind of a fascinating story that the lake took a huge hit back in the 1950s with the invasion of sea lampreys, which knocked out the native lake trout, which allowed another invasive species, these alewives, to mm-hmm. explode. So then you bring in salmon to fix the alewives, and it's like the old lady who saw the fly. Yeah. Uh, we created a great a great recreational salmon fishery, but now that's wobbly because the alewife are suffering because the mussels have come in and taken up the bottom of the food chain. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's a system that's been rocked a bit. Uh, and that's where we start. We've got to take a short break here, and when we get back, we've got a lot more time to discuss this. Dan Egan, The Death and Life of the Great Lakes. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki on WCGO. Stick around for more of this conversation. Hi, I'm Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings Magazine. And for seven years, we've been helping Chicagoans to lead healthier, happier lives. Each month, our readers enjoy new information about integrative health and wellness, local foods, raising healthy kids and pets, helping our environment, and living a more sustainable life. Get your free copy of Natural Awakenings in more than 1,100 locations throughout city and suburbs, or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Is this the year you finally get your lawn off drugs? But why stop there? Why not work with your city, your park district, and your local schools to create a neighborhood of lawns that are beautiful and safe? Logic Lawn Care is an Evanston-based company with a decade of experience managing large turf areas naturally. They'd be happy to sit down with you, your local school, or city to answer any questions and to give you a free lawn care estimate. Go to LogicLawnCare.com or call 847-421-6500. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki on a Sunday morning in Chicago, a rainy Sunday morning, and Dan Egan is in his car, pulled off to the side of the road. 
uh, talking to us uh, from um, Interstate 43, somewhere in Wisconsin, and he wrote The Death and Life of the Great Lakes, which uh, we just started talking about, and you should have heard the conversation off air. But um, So what you pointed out in the first segment, before I kind of let Peggy lead the charge here, and what I was stunned by and I probably shouldn't have been because I've watched the progression of invasive plants in America. This is something I've covered for a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, so watching these species come in. So there's this rush to open up the great uh, to the St. Lawrence Seaway uh, with these all these unintended consequences. You got to do that first. Uh, and, and not just uh, bringing in invasive species to the Great Lakes, but flooding uh, towns that had been there for centuries, and or at least a couple of centuries, and th- things like that. So we've got the St. Lawrence Seaway, then we've got the Erie Canal, and everybody says, yay, this is great, it's great for progress in America, and that's leading more invasive species in there. And then... Through the front door. Uh, uh, yeah, and... Um, uh, that's the front door, right. And then there's also yeah. the back door that things come in. But what I was kind of stunned by was, as you mentioned, the sea lamprey comes in and it just wipes out the trout in the great, yeah. just takes them down. Uh, and because that happens, we have the rise of the alewives. And, um, and then they're all over our beaches, as we said, and people are, are, have to get bulldozers and, and get them off the beaches. And I was in Detroit at the time, so I didn't – I grew up in Detroit. but And, you know, I used to fish in Lake St. Clair with my dad. Um, uh-huh. And uh, – but um, uh, I wasn't in Chicago when that smell came, but I read about it. I mean, I, I knew about it. Uh, but what's um, – this is the part that stuns me after all of this. And we, we, we realize that these invasive species come in because we open the lane to there because we were careless. So what happens next? We get this this guy that, who's sort of, you know, the gatekeeper in 1950 who says, we're going to put, or in the 60s, I'm sorry, we're going to put coho salmon in the lakes. Mr. Tanner. Mr. Tanner. And nobody questions him. There's no scientific studies. There's nothing. They just throw the coho in and, and Chinook. And uh, the, yes, they consume the alewives and there's this burst of activity, and yay, we've turned the Great Lakes uh, from uh, commercial fisheries into sport fishery uh, waters, but with no concern for the science. That stunned me. That To me, that, that just blew me away, uh, Dan. Uh, and you, it, yeah. se- it, seem, it seems to me, you're writing as a reporter here, and you're trying not, I could, I could see in the words, I'm trying to read between your lines, and you're desperately not trying, trying not to say, this guy was a maniac. Uh, because I, <laughs> well, <laughs> well yeah, you know, um, so there was, there was a, a fair amount of research that, that, that this, this guy and his staff did. To, they looked at striped bass, and 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 they finally concluded that Pacific Northwest were the were the best species to go with. But what was really interesting is they weren't trying to solve the alewife problem. They were just trying to create a recreational fishery. Yeah, it's and cool. they did it. You, they made this decision unilaterally. You know, there are eight Great Lakes states, and there's two Great Lakes provinces, and there there was not consultation with it. And obviously, these fish don't know those borders. Yeah. So, so they they dropped the fish in with without really talking to anybody else in the region, and it just so happens that they kind of, you know, uh, hit a bullseye at least at first because the the salmon went to town on the alewives. So people who wanted to get rid of the alewives were happy, and people who wanted this recreational salmon fishery were happy, and things were humming along 
for a while, but you know, it 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 doesn't look like it's built to last, and and that's because invasions kept coming all along, and and now we're we're really suffering yet in other ways, and and that's the muscles and the bottom of the food chain being being taken out. Yeah, me, yeah me, you know, meanwhile, all the, yeah, these muscles are coming in at the same time. So it's just one wave after another after nobody another. nobody knew about it right. until 1988. And then we've got, you know, these guys that, and you're right, they they did some research, but there were no controls. You, could, you couldn't do yeah, that today. Yeah. You couldn't release. No, you, no. It, 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 that's, that's what's really fascinating about it is just, you know, so much of this book is like it all seemed like a good idea at the time, but mm-hmm. if we do it today, and, and the answer is often... No. I mean, for example, the Seaway was, and the Seaway, I should note, it, it is an important shipping corridor for North America, and by that I mean boats moving from one North American port to another. But the idea behind the Seaway, the promise of the Seaway, was it was going to turn Chicago and Milwaukee and Duluth and Buffalo into these world-class global ports that would rival anything on the coast. And that never worked out. And it didn't work out for, for two main reasons. One is they built it on the cheap. They, they built the locks of the seaway. So what the seaway technically is, it's the shipping channels and canals and locks along this wild, roaring St. Lawrence River from Lake Ontario down to the Gulf of St. Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And then above that, you have another another canal lock system called the Welling Canal, which is now considered part of the seaway. And that, that goes around Niagara Falls. It, it allows boats to go from Ontario to Erie. Well, that, that canal was built in the 1930s, and when they went to build the seaway in the 1950s, the late 1950s, they decided to match the lock sizes to these well and canal locks, which basically locked in the seaway uh, uh, hosting boats that were reflective of the world fleet in the 1920s and early 30s. No pun intended. Rather than, you know, the modern, yeah, 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 the exactly. modern uh, fleet. So, so we can really, the, the seaway can only handle... Uh, a tiny sliver of the world's cargo-carrying fleet by capacity. And and it's also closed three months of the year because of ice. And you can't really have a modern shipping corridor that closes for that, for any time during the year because of just-in-time delivery. You know, the, the, the car factories are going to want their clutches at a very precise moment. And if they're not available for January, March, and you know, February, they're going to they're gonna find a different way to... They'll go by rail. In. Yeah. I think yeah, so. You say there's 5% or less of the world shipping comes in through there now. Yeah, and 5%, less than 5% of Great Lakes Seaway shipping is, is overseas uh, ships coming up the seaway. So what they bring is it's not Nikes and Sonys and Toyotas. It's not typically high-value finished goods. It's bulk. It's steel coming in primarily, and it's grain going out. And, you know, it just accounts for less than 5% of the overall shipping on the lakes. Yeah. But while we didn't get the cargoes that we hoped, and we did hope, I mean, I have uh, some PDFs that I'm going to be showing up at this talk in Green Bay that I'm going to do this afternoon, showing the Milwaukee port in 1959 in September after the end of the first season or toward the end of the first season. And you have models wearing these furs and, and all the stuff that was coming in from the seaway that first season. Well, that was just a one-shot deal, basically, because yeah. all that, that bounty didn't come. But we did get stuff that we weren't planning this cargo uh, that was unanticipated and that invasive species, and there's been somewhere around 60 invaders since, uh, since the seaway opened. Right, it's right. Blamed on these ships. So talk a little bit about ballast water, because when a ship sails, when it leaves a port full, it's got a full load of cargo that has to be swapped out for water to keep the ship stable, or vice versa. Yeah. And yeah, how has this opened the door and brought in the mussels and the other invaders? Great question. 
So ballast water is such a problem because it gets picked up. Okay, it's used to, to balance a ship if it, if it isn't completely balanced by cargo, and I think it rare, a ship rarely is um, perfectly balanced. You take on water so, so it doesn't lift, and so it rides at an appropriate depth in the water. These ships aren't meant to bounce around like corks. They, they mm-hmm. push through the water. And so you pick up this ballast water, say, in Antwerp or pick a port anywhere in the world, it's not dead weight. That's the problem. You pick up any life that could be lurking in it. And for decades, this was recognized as a potential pathway, but nobody really thought much about it. And the Clean Water Act, which is administered by the uh, Environmental Protection Agency, specifically exempted this, this biological pollution. So we got wave after wave of invaders. And I should say that the, the, the shipping industry has, over the last decade, started flushing these ballast tanks out in the ocean with salt water. The idea is that you'll expel what's ever lurking in the tanks or mm-hmm. kill it with a salt water shock. But, you know, life has a way, and, and the best science says that, you know, it, the invasions have been dramatically slowed. We haven't, we didn't have one for almost, I think it was eight years or so, and we, we just picked up or discovered a new invader back in November of wow. 2016. But so the door is still open, and that's the thing that you know, I talk about in the book, I'm not advocating shutting down the seaway, but I am advocating for, you know, a hard, cold, hard look at, you know, the value we get from this overseas mm-hmm. traffic versus the damage it's done to the lakes. And I think if you put that on the table, people may think, you know, until they can solve this ballast water problem, maybe we should just use use the seaway as a regional corridor. Yeah. And they are, they are phasing in ballast, ballast treatment systems like many... But by 2021... Plants. Yeah, yeah, and and you know it's expensive and it's complicated, yeah. and the shipping industry has acknowledged the problem, but but they also, you know, say that it's that it's too difficult to solve on the timeline that they've been given. Right. Well, you know. So so I've got a related question because we only have a couple of minutes yeah. left here, Dan, um, with ballast water issues, mussels, all the remediation, and then the threat of Asian carp coming in the ship and sanitary canal. The back door. The yeah. back door. The back door. Right. And yeah. we're looking at a proposed. Administrative budget cutting three hundred million to the Great Lakes Initiative. Now what? Yeah, you know, I think I don't know if that's going to happen because look, the the Great Lakes span such a vast geographical area, and they're also politically critical. When you look at the the Great Lakes states, you know, these are key battleground places like Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and and these states are populated with people. Republican and Democrats alike, who love their Great Lakes and who want them to be safe to swim in and the fish safe to eat and the ecosystem functioning at some kind of a sustainable level. Mm-hmm. And and, you, and if you mess with this initiative that's been doing a lot, you know, in the last 10 years, they've been spending more than $300 million a year on programs like, you know, better understanding invasive species and how to combat them and cleaning up these toxic messes. If we start going backwards, and the program is also funded a lot of the Asian carp barrier. You know, if we get if we start getting you know these these Asian carp, the extent of the damage they do in the lakes is still uh, not entirely known. But it's pretty well uh, believed that they'll they'll do fine in the bays and the harbors and the rivers that feed the lake, which happen to be where all the people recreate. Yeah. So um, you know. But it's but what it sounds like to me is then uh, if this is if this money is not going to go away, what we're talking about here is government by threat. Um, and that's the way I look at it. And it's kind of a political view here, but uh, that that can't be a healthy way to proceed, especially when there's so much at stake in the Great Lakes. 
Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, we're not more proactive. In the past, you know, I talk about the post-Cuyahoga era. Well, look at what was happening in the 60s. You know, we were we were making a mess of the lakes, and and we finally had enough when that river caught mm-hmm. fire in 1969 and, and committed to doing something about it. Well, we, we know what the problem is. The problems are facing the lakes today, but, but we haven't really mustered the will to you know, to, in simplified terms, shut these doors, the back door and, and the front door. And it's not just Asian carp that, you know, could be using the canal, the Chicago Sanitary and Ship Canal. There's species that go out the canal as well. And mm-hmm. there's a chapter in the book that looks at all of the, the damage that invasive mussels that rolled out of the canal are doing out west. Yeah, and, out in Lake Mead. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the extent that they're going to stop these lakes from becoming infested is, is they're much more strict than we are back here in the Midwest. Well, a different I, ethic. And I, th- and I think one of the points you make, and you're making it right now, is that we have this notion in America that with the Clean Water Act, we solved the problem, we fixed everything, and it was a Band-Aid just the way the coho salmon were a Band-Aid uh, for the fish stocks in, in the Great Lakes. We haven't, in some ways, we haven't learned anything because we get we have the algae blooms returning to Lake Erie. We fixed that when we had the, the point source uh, pollution and, you know, yeah, shut off the yep. pipe, shut off the pipe, and we will clean up the lakes. And and guess what? That happened for a while, and then it started seeping in from everywhere, agricultural and backyard runoff. Yes. You know, which is why I'm not a huge fan of people using uh, synthetic fertilizers in their lawn because so much of the nitrogen and phosphorus goes right into the water table. Where does it go? To Lake Erie. Yes, exactly. And, you know, what's that phosphorus being used for? It's, it's growing corn. And what's that corn used for? Well, a big percent of it goes to ethanol. So we're basically, <laughs> you know, poisoning the lake to put ah. fuel in our gas tanks, which is like right out of Dr. Seuss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, Lake Erie is kind of uh, um, a canary in the coal mine as far as the direction of the lake. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, it's not doing really well. But again, we have a plan. They put together a plan to, to reduce the phosphorus that are triggering these toxic algae blooms. And, and so far, uh, they haven't mustered the political will to do it. Lake uh, Ohio hasn't even declared Lake Erie an impaired body of water. And if the citizens of Toledo wow. have to, you know, are under the threat that their water is going to get poisoned again, um, if that's not impaired, what is? Yeah, absolutely. They might as well be in Flint, Michigan right now, okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got just two minutes here, so give us some hope, uh, Dan. Okay, well, yeah, there is hope. And, and you know, it, I, I'm finding it. Fascinating. People often ask me, does this depress you? And I'm like, yeah, I don't think it's not so depressing as it's just interesting, the history and then looking at the future and looking at the future. Okay, we had alewives infest the lakes and we fixed it with salmon and, and people were happy for decades. And and now that whole program seems to be wobbling. It's, it's disappeared, essentially disappeared on Lake uh, Huron and Lake Michigan is showing signs it's headed in the same direction. But remarkably, Looking over to Lake Huron, what's happened in the wake of the alewives demise, the Chinook salmon have gone away, but then another, another invader came in called the round goby, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like a modern-day alewife. It's a scourge, you know, for fishermen. They, they hate the things because they eat baits off, bait off lines, and they're just a nuisance species, but they're built to eat mussels. Yeah. And so they ah. came from the same place, the Caspian Sea Basin. They came the same way, ballast, uh, contaminated ballast water. Uh, and ships sailing up the seaway, and they eat mussels. So anything that can eat a goby is going to do fine, and the gobies are unlocking all this energy that the mussels have locked up. And it turns out these native species, specifically lake trout, walleye, whitefish, 
are all going to town on the gobies, and they're all starting to do well. And whitefish aren't even the piscivore. They, they're not nature built to eat fish. Mm-hmm. But if it's a goby or death, they'll take a goby, and, and the salmon won't. The salmon are... Are built to eat schooling fish. Well, there you go. Lives. See, there's there's so. there's some kind of poetic justice in that. Dan Egan, thank you so much for taking some time with us this morning. Have a great talk. The book is called The Death and Life of the Great Lakes. You can find more information at MikeNovak.net. We'll talk to you later, Dan. Have a great day. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much, Dan. Back right after this. Have you taken advantage of the Mike Novak Show special offer at the Sugar Beet Food Co-op in Oak Park? Yes, the Sugar Beet is a community-owned grocery store, but it's open to everyone, and it features local and organic products. Stop in, mention the Mike Novak Show, and you'll get $5 off any purchase of $15 or more. The Sugar Beet Food Co-op is at 812 Madison, just west of Oak Park Avenue, and online at sugarbeet.coop. That's sugarbeet.coop. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show on 1590 WCGO, Chicago's rainy Sunday. Sunday. We're in the home stretch here of our first two-hour program, and tell your friends, let them know. Pour your fresh coffee. That's right, and kick back the way you used to on a, a Sunday morning, and I know there's some folks out there who are doing that, and we appreciate them listening. Uh, as a matter of fact, hold on, before, before we get to Mark, 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 I know you're there. Hang on a second. Um, Sing a song, Mark. Oh, okay. you know what? It's very funny. I got a, I got this email or, or phone call yesterday, uh, uh, and we we didn't have time to get around the show. And uh, Iniki, I and I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. She's in Ohio, and she she had a problem with. Uh, she said worms on her apples, and it turns out she's got uh, eastern tent caterpillar which can be actually handled fairly easily. So I sent her some information about how to deal with that. And folks are w- welcome to send their horticultural questions to me, Mike at MikeNovak.net. Uh, call in the show, 847-475-1590. Uh, we're not talking horticulture at, the se- at this second. But uh, she wrote to me, and so I wrote her back the info. She mm-hmm. writes back. Uh, she said she would check it out. She said she's listened to the show many times. I'm Ron Cowgill's mom. I <laughs> I listen to him also. <laughs> well, I oh. hope so. Okay. Ron Cowgill's mom. And she hasn't tweeted yet, but I see Annie Haven's out there, too. She's um, checked in on Facebook. Oh, good. Thank you, Annie Haven. I'm glad you're because she used to She's listen, a Sunday listener. listen to us uh, on Sunday morning. So out in California. Let's go to Mark Ayers. Uh, Mark, are you with us? I'm with you. You're, you know what? Mark, uh, see your, I see your photos on Facebook, and I see the stuff you're doing in downstate Illinois. Um, and you are a bad hombre. You realize that. <laughs> I appreciate that, Mike. I really uh, appreciate that. Good well, to be on. That's why I put the photo up there that uh, uh, the Holly Key took of you back in February when you guys busted this, uh, oh, my goodness, this uh, so-called uh, sport uh, that they have there, the Southern Illinois Predator Challenge, and I'm using air quotes here, um, 
an event in, quote, in which two-person teams compete to kill the most coyotes in a 24-hour period. What's wrong with this picture, Mark? Um, where do I start with that? No, I, I, would, I would link this type of event, these killing contests in general, not just coyotes, but any killing contest, to a blood sport. And that's really what they are. And they, they go by a number of different names. So I've heard them go as wildlife killing contests. I've heard them as predator derbies or varmint shoots. But whatever you call it, these are the most unsporting and cruel events that I've ever witnessed. It's the actual opposite of ethical wildlife hunting. And... I, I was just going to say, and and you should know something about this because you're the Illinois State Director for the Humane Society of the United States. Peggy and I met you last year at the opening of the film At the Fork, which is about humane treatment of our uh, our meat products uh, in in the United mm-hmm. States. Um, and you're you're you know you seem like a quiet guy. <laughs> And I'm looking at this photo of you with the hat on backward. It almost looks like you've got camouflage on. And, and, you know, you're taking on these guys. And I happen to know because I follow you on Facebook and you and I have had uh, conversations on the phone. They don't take kindly to people busting up their Mm -hmm. little operations, do they? No, they don't. And they went to great lengths to hide from us. And they, they promoted all over social media the location of this so-called blood sport, this hunt. And when we showed up, they weren't there. They left because they realized that this generated so much opposition that they literally hid from us and went 20 minutes out of the way to host this blood sport. And we have advocates all over the state. And so it wasn't hard for us to find out where they were. And that's where we saw this trailer bed full of coyotes Uh, 70-some hunters came out. Um, You know, some folks probably would have been a little intimidated by that, but we were angry. And we were angry that that these guys literally killed, I think it was between 50 and 70 coyotes for no reason, other than they just liked the fur. Uh, Well, it's not just they like the fur. It's they like to kill. That's they like to kill. That, yeah, they like or, to kill. or they said, "Well, this is a family tradition. We've been doing this for years." Yeah, and that's and a lot of those arguments are a lot of the arguments are false. That uh, you know, coyotes uh, uh, are uh, there's too many in the population. You got to cull them. Of course, we don't do that with deer. We let those populations explode and cause all kinds of damage. I mean, uh, a couple of those articles uh, that I've got linked to uh, MikeNovak.net refer to. Um, mountains that have been just wiped clean by deer mm-hmm. because there are no predators. I mean, it's 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 one of the things we're really famous for in the United States is that we've decided that the only predator that is allowed to exist is man, is human beings, okay? Because we, we don't want any competition, and I'm not sure what that mentality is. I understand the mentality from 150 years ago, but not in the 21st century. Something's changed. I mean, now we're, we're also hunting bobcats again in Illinois. That's kind of controversial. Uh, and you're, you're fighting for laws that would make that more humane, too, right? That's right. Yeah, we have a bill that's active right now in the state legislature. It's Senate Bill 1981. And uh, that bill will actually prohibit the commercial sale 
a bobcat pelt of a bobcat taken or killed in Illinois, and it will also prohibit trapping of bobcats in the state at any time. So that's a current bill. We're currently seeking support for that bill. So if folks would like to contact their state senator, please ask them to vote yes and even consider co-sponsoring Senate Bill 1981. Well, uh, the Senate Bill 1981, and I've got got some information about it here, if I can. Here it is. it would the two changes that the law would make. Um, it would uh, it would still allow bobcat hunting, and again, we had the first hunt in Illinois since the seventies uh, this past year, and they killed one hundred and forty one bobcats, uh, and 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 that was after the bobcat uh, was on the decline very much in the state. Is that right, Mark? No, that's right, and so. I mean, from the 1970s, it, that's finally when the IDNR, the Department of Natural Resources, mm-hmm. finally put bobcats on the threatened species list because we nearly drove them to near extinction in the state. And they, that was in 1977, and they finally started to recover a little bit to where IDNR delisted them in, uh, I believe, 1999. So you had 20 years of formal statewide protection on bobcats, but even from its delisting in 1999, you could not hunt a bobcat. And that all changed just very recently with the passage of House Bill 352. So, and that was the bill that literally opened up for the first time in four decades a statewide hunt and trapping season for bobcats. So what's the rationale? Why, why do we need to hunt them again? If hunting was stopped of them for so many years... It wasn't like some economic decline that happened. Why, why did they allow it again? That's right. Well, the Illinois Department of Natural Resources considers the recovery of bobcats to be a, a conservation success story. And they feel that bobcat populations have recovered enough that it can sustain um, a, what they call a limited harvest. Um, so they opened up this season, and they based the entire season off of outdated and regional studies on bobcat populations. And they think, they have no way of knowing, but they think there's between five to 7,000 bobcats in the state. And they base that number off of a regional and outdated study that they did back in the, the early to mid-2000s in southern Illinois. And they took those numbers and they extrapolated and said, based off this figure, there's between five and 7,000 bobcats. But they have no way of knowing because they've not conducted an official statewide study to know that. They've just been guessing. Uh, that is uh, Mark Ayers, who's the Illinois State Director for the Humane Society of the United States. Um, and uh, we're talking about uh, the hunting of bobcats and coyotes. We'll get to coyotes in just a second. I'll let people know, uh, you know, maybe there's some hunters listening. I'd uh, love to hear your point of view at uh, 847-475-1590. Um, we got a, I, got, I got a bad hombre on my side here, so <laughs> he, <laughs> if, if, uh, who, who can take up the, the challenge. Um, getting back to coyotes, I mean, bobcats, it's, it, they're, they're two different kinds of animals. A bobcat is, is not a, an animal that's going to adapt 
the way a coyote does. And one of the things we've learned about coyotes is they can adapt to just about anything. In fact, I, I posted a study from National Geographic that says there's mm-hmm. about 2,000 of them in, in Chicago. Uh, you don't see them. And, and I did a show on coyotes uh, several years ago. It was one of the most uh, responded to shows that I've ever done. People are fascinated by coyotes. You, you got a bit, about a minute uh, uh, to the break. Um, uh, any comments on that, Mark? Well, they're, they're, they're incredible animals. And I think coyotes are very beneficial to the ecosystem. And that's what I don't think many hunters who just kill them for no reason, I don't think they understand that that these animals provide a number of free natural ecological services for our environment and our ecosystem. And they're controlling disease transmission. They're keeping the rodent populations in check. They clean up animal carcasses and carrion. They help to increase biodiversity. I mean, they're doing all kinds of things for our natural ecosystem. And one of the things that these contest killers typically say is that they're helping control their populations. And I think the science is pretty clear that the indiscriminate killing of coyotes, it literally does nothing to control their populations. In fact, it's having the reverse effect. Okay, well, we're going to come back with uh, Mark. we got a, a little more time uh, after the break. Uh, again, 847-475-1590 if you want to weigh in. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki uh, right now talking uh, about the, the hunting of coyotes and bobcats in the state of Illinois. We'd love to have you be part of the conversation. We'll be right back. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair care products available to make sure you get exceptional color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins ordinarily found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots offers non-toxic, vegan-friendly nail services. They've also just introduced a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths. And how many salons do you think repurpose hair clippings recycled product containers, and use LED lighting. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Why not? That's a coyote song. I'm a loser, baby. So why don't you come in? And, and, and actually, there's there's some truth to that. Um, not that they th- view themselves that way, but... Um, they've, they've had a bad rap since the settlers came. Yeah, and uh, Mark Ayers is with us uh, on the phone from the uh, Illinois Humane Society, and there was an editorial in the Tribune that uh, you, you forwarded to me, so I, I posted a link to it. Uh, one of the problems and one of the, the, the enemies of coyotes was Mark Twain. Uh, he said he described the coyote as a slim, sick, and sorry-looking skeleton with a furtive and evil eye and a general slinking expression all over. He must have been talking about politicians. I don't, I don't <laughs> think he was talking about coyotes. Um, 
And of course, uh, as the Tribune writes, the belief that the only good coyote is a dead coyote persists among some people in some places. Uh, But as you just pointed out, Mark, they do a lot of good. And I think we need to hammer that home over and over again that the way uh, food systems, uh, food chains work is that you got to have somebody at the top. If you don't have something at the top, then the things at the bottom just run nuts, as we we talked about with the Great Lakes um, in the conversation before you. If you if you don't have the uh, trout eating the alewives, uh, they're going to uh, expand and explode in population mm-hmm. until you're taking using bulldozers to get them off the beaches. That's right. You know, and these coyotes actually balance their ecosystems, and they they have a trophic cascade effect that indirectly protects ground nesting birds from smaller carnivores, and they actually increase their biological diversity of plant and wildlife communities. And, you know, this, and these aren't just alternative facts. You know, these are well-published, well-documented scientific studies that say these things. Mm-hmm. But trying to convince contest killers of that is a very difficult challenge, but it's a challenge that we're willing to take up. And I think we need to explain also about the contest that they were using unethical means to attract the coyotes. They have, what, these calls that mimic the sound of a coyote in distress? That's right. Yeah, they it basically mimics, yeah, the sound of a coyote that's in distress. And I, I saw the pictures of that last contest-killing event. Many of these guys had high-powered rifles mounted mm. on bipods and tripods. Oh, dear. And when that animal comes in, they just pump it full of lead. And, and they take that body, put it on the back of a pickup truck, and they take them all to get weighed in. And it's just, it's, it's very gruesome. It, I mean, I said it earlier, but it, this is a blood sport. I link this type of activity to cockfighting and dogfighting. This is, this is animal cruelty that, that we see here. And, uh, you know, getting back to the bobcats bri- briefly, um, part of what SB 1981 would eliminate is the use of... Uh, traps, traps, inhumane traps, uh, which are, as uh, in the support sheet from Senator Harmon, uh, bobcats are typically caught using painful, indiscriminate, steel-jawed, leg-hold traps. They cause serious injuries such as broken limbs, broken teeth, dislocated shoulders, lacerations, fractures, and amputations of digits, paws, or whole legs, and they're only required to be checked once a day. So the bobcat may languish for hours in pain. If they even check it then. If they even, yeah, that's true. And a 2015 poll showed that 78% of Illinois voters oppose the use of steel-jawed leg hold traps for bobcats. And just because they oppose it, oh, how awful, doesn't mean anyone's trying, you know, that the average voter's doing anything about it. It's just, oh, how awful. Well, and think what happens when an animal is caught in one of these traps. It's not just a steel-jawed leg hold trap. That's the most common. Mm-hmm. But you've also got conner bears. You've got the, the body-crushing traps. You've also got, in some situations under this law, you can snare a bobcat if it's an underwater set. And so when an animal steps into that trap, not only is it caught, it can't move, it's in pain, but then the trapper will come up to that bobcat and literally shoot it at point-blank range in the head so that they don't damage the pelt. Or they'll take a baseball bat or some club or some blunt object, and they'll club the bobcat and kill it, 
so that they don't put a hole in the pelt. Or there's even situations that they'll just drown the bobcat so they don't damage that pelt at all. Hey, so, that's and, that's and, sport. Okay. And yeah. where are these pelts being sold that it's even worth it? If fi- What was it, 500 licenses were issued? That can't yeah, be a they, lot they, of money they, in pelts. Not a lot, but look look at the price of the permit. The IDNR allowed this formerly threatened species to be killed for just five bucks. Five bucks. And, five dollars. Are they you were, kidding and me? And they were paying them five dollars for the pelt. Well, there. I've seen the the pelt the pelt sales aren't really staying in the state. Yeah. You know, those are those are really going to overseas markets, like Greece and Thailand and China. Vietnam, they're making coats and other things out of them, and that's where you see the big money in, in that. But they're, I, the pelt sales all depend on the quality of the pelt and the size of, of the bobcat. But they're going anywhere from I've seen them as low as thirty bucks, fifty bucks, sometimes a hundred. But it, it's not it's not a lot of money. But that's why you see such a low dollar amount for that permit, just five bucks. Well, uh, uh, we've got just a couple of minutes here. I want to give you a chance to talk about the other things that you're doing uh, through the Humane Society in Illinois. Yeah, well, we have a amazing bill that's current right now also in the legislature that protects elephants. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the Senate Bill 1342 under Senator Linda Holmes. This bill will prohibit the use of elephants in circuses and traveling shows. Okay. And that bill passed not only committee, but it passed the Senate floor unanimously, unanimously. And now that bill heads to the House. And so we are asking all of your listeners, if you support that bill, please call your representative and have them support and even co-sponsor Senate Bill 1342 so that we can protect elephants from this abusive circus industry. Well, uh, the circus industry is in decline right now, too. Obviously, uh, there was uh, big news about that recently, and I, and I don't remember exactly what the story. The Ringling Brothers shut down or something? Mm-hmm. That was the deal, right? Yep. Yeah. And uh, I didn't realize, so these are what, smaller outfits that are more nomadic? There are, yeah, there's a number of smaller outfits. Ringling Brothers was probably the biggest. Also, Barnum and Bailey, they, were out, they also retired their elephants as well. But there's, there are probably about 100 elephants that still tour the United States, part of a smaller circus and mm-hmm. traveling show. Wow. And so there is still a dire need to pass this type of legislation that stops the cruelty before it begins. One other thing, real quick. I know you guys do a lot with puppy mills. Um, May 15th, you've got a day of giving. Give us 10 seconds. Yep, day of giving for, for puppy mills. This is a very active campaign that we have at the Humane Society of the United States. We've been fighting very bad legislation throughout the United States that basically gives total cover to puppy mills. And it comes at a convenient time where the USDA has scrubbed all animal welfare reporting records from their website. And that a similar bill came up here in Illinois mm-hmm. just recently in the General Assembly that okay. we've been working on to kind of defang and take some of the worst provisions out of. Okay, with with that, i got to let you go, Mark. Uh, go to my website, MikeNovak.net. You'll get more information uh, from uh, Mark Ayers in the Humane Society of Illinois. Appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Thank you.
All right. I want to thank everybody on the show today. Our first two hours, Steve Newman from Logic Lawn Care and Dan Egan from the Death and Life of the Great Lakes. Mark Ayers, State, Illinois State Director for the Humane Society. Did I miss anything? I think that's it. That's it. All right. Until next week, go green or go home. Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.